0: You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast and we hope you enjoy the episode. Everyone, welcome to the scoop. I'm Dinah Jansen, and in the virtual studio with me today, I have Don Drummond, the Stafford Dunning Fellow in the School of Policy Studies. Welcome, Don. How are you? I'm very welcome. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you're here. Recently, you and your colleague Duncan Sinclair recently released a white paper that calls for revolutionizing Canada's approach to seniors care entitled Aging Well. Before getting into the observations made in this uh, white paper report, can you tell us about the current state of Canadian seniors, what issues COVID-19 has revealed, and what motivated you and Dr. Sinclair to investigate and report?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I could just do a plug for the third person involved in that. And the third author was uh, a Masters of Public Administration student, uh, Rebecca Bergen. And uh, may as well be in full disclosure here, she did a lot of the work, most <laughs> great, of the work.
0: Great. <laughs>
1: we're, we're happy to take credit for it, but uh, we, we, we should put it duly where, where it is. So the, the three of us were, were involved. Uh, well, of course, what everybody's paying attention to these days was the result that 80% of the COVID-19-related deaths have occurred in long-term care. And we've heard these horrific stories about the inadequacy of infrastructure for sometimes even six people in a room with a sheet separating them, the shortage of personal care workers in these facilities, they don't tend off to be well-trained, they're not paid very well. Uh, we heard these horrors from the military when they went into some of the homes and the conditions they found. So we're starting with that, and that's the heat of the moment, but we're saying well, there's Two other broader contexts you have to put this in. First of all, not that many people are waving their hand up in the air and saying, I want to go to long-term care. This is not typically where somebody chooses to be. They would prefer, as the expression goes, to age in place. And it could be at their home. It could be in their home with supports. It could be somewhere else in their community, not necessarily their home. And secondly, you have to put it in the context of the demographics. Even if we did somehow meet in a better fashion the long-term care of the seniors today, There's literally a tsunami of not just seniors, but older seniors coming our way, thanks to the baby boomers. Um, You can do the math any way you want, but between 46 and 65, which is what we consider the baby boomer generation, they're now getting into their 70s, and next decade, they're gonna get into their 80s. And if we continue to send people at those ages of long-term care the same way we do here, across Canada, we're gonna need to build something like another 300,000 long-term care beds. And nobody is planning on doing that. And I don't think anybody is going to do that. So we got a problem. And it's a typical thing in in life that you're immense in what seems to be the problem at the moment. But there was a big problem before COVID-19. And there's going to be an even bigger problem that's going to build and build and build afterwards. So we're saying, get a Put what's happening at the moment into those broader contexts.
0: Indeed. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, so tell us about the white paper itself and to whom is it directed? Provincial? Federal government? Where's it going?
1: Everybody. So there's a lot of players involved here. Now, if one were to pull out your well-worn copy of the Constitution, you'll see this is not directly in the policy jurisdiction of the federal government. But they are players. They have, in the last couple of years, given money to the provinces for home care. They indicated in the speech from the throne a desire to play in this policy area. So maybe not theirs, but they are players. Uh, It is predominantly... Provincial, but also municipalities. Municipalities are very uh, involved in this. Kingston, for example, is quite active and has a number of facilities, some of them like Oasis, along the lines of the things we're recommending to, to happen a lot more. It affects hospitals. Um, one of the saddest things in this, if you and a journey of leaving your home happen to go to a hospital for any length of time, you're six times more likely to end up in long-term care if you go through a community-led service because hospitals just don't take the time or don't have the connections to figure out how to better support the person. It's physicians and clinics. Um, The biggest challenge of course with is frailty and dementia and the majority of people that are long-term care have one sometimes both of those conditions how do you address that? Uh, Can you prevent it? And if not prevent it, can you defer it? Can you lessen the incidence of it? And the the results suggest yes, to a degree you can. And here, you know, mathematics is a bit our friend. The average stay of somebody in long-term care is two and a half years. So if you can postpone that by six months, you've wiped out 20% of the demand for long-term care. That's phenomenal. Yeah you could to a large degree head off a good part of the impending demographics that are coming our way. Some of it are fairly straightforward things. Uh, one of the best things that one can do to stave dementia or lessen to is dealing with hearing impediments because somebody who has hearing impediments comes disassociated from society and, you in a sense become locked in your own self. Um, the education, mental, activities, physical activities. We, we've seen an astonishing reduction in physical activity of those baby boomers. And are they going to pay a price? Is society going to pay a price from that? the sort of thing. So I'm not sure what I've left out on this list, but uh, everybody's involved. And why not? I mean, we're certainly going to have 25% of our population going to be 65 plus. That's a huge number of people. And that's going to increase by 4.2 million over the next 20 years.
0: Okay, so alarm bells are certainly raised with your white paper. Uh, Thank you very much for talking again with us about it today. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more, uh, perhaps breaking it down even from an economic standpoint, uh, what are the costs and benefits of long-term care versus home care, not only for individuals but as, as a society? And tax uh, even if an
1: economist, and we tend to be a little bit on the Bean County side, and I, I'd say the economics of it are kind of secondary for me is uh, give people what they want. Yeah. Uh, they, they want to remain independent to the degree they can, not totally in isolation by, by any means, and sometimes that may mean community around living in their home, but the economics in this case lines up. You can provide a lot of services to somebody to stay in their home for fifty to hundred dollars a day. Long-term care is two hundred plus per day. At this given moment across Canada, thirteen to fifteen percent of the people in hospitals should never have been in the hospital in the first place, and they're almost all elderly people. Mm-hmm. And easily a thousand dollars a day. So the economics of it pushes you in the direction of providing home supports or kind of community care, relative. to to the more expensive long-term care model. So it's kind of nice when, if you can deliver what people want, and it's also cheaper for society. The the counterfactual is we spend 1.3% of our gross domestic product on long-term care at the moment. I think once we have heard all the recommendations of the various long-term care commissions and the like, that will jump to about 2.1. That's just a guess. That's what I think we'll do. That would take us from less than other industrialized countries to just a bit more. So that wouldn't make us an outlier. And then you double up because the number of uh, elderly seniors is going to double. We'll go to 4.2%. So we're going to go from one3 to 4.2%. I don't think anybody could afford that. I don't think the seniors could afford the cost of doing that. I don't think their families could do it. And... Um, how do the young people feel like paying a big tax for the rest of their life to support them? They're probably not too keen on that either. So I think that sort of macro perspective forces you into looking at some alternatives that could perhaps cost less as well.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. So in the um, news release that we got from Queen's University, why it noted that Canada is actually far behind other countries like Japan and Denmark when it comes to investing in home care. So what kinds of investments uh, do we need to make in order to catch up and be a leader in the world?
1: Well, the number one to start with would be more community-based home care services. So just to give an example, uh, if in Denmark you were having difficulty getting out of your bathtub, and by the way, bathtubs have to be the, the worst invention that's ever been made. Uh, extremely difficult to get in and out for anybody. Uh, a, a slippery surface combined with water, great idea. Uh, but if you're having difficulty bathing, for example, in Denmark, you can make a call to a community service and, in a short order, somebody's bolting in a bar beside your bathtub. Um, if you're okay, other than difficulty getting the snow off your driveway, you can get your driveway cleared. These things are relatively cheap to do relative to, compared to the, off, the opposite. We have 6% of Canadian seniors get any sort of home care services. Um, I said we spend 1.3% of our gross domestic on long-term care. We spend 0.2%. It's almost nothing on home care. And the most disturbing is when you put the ratio of those two things, we spend $6 on long-term care for every $1 on home care. Whereas the Northern European economies tend to spend about the same and Denmark spends more on home care than long-term care. And if you look at, life satisfaction surveys where do seniors score the highest degree of well-being and life satisfaction surprise surprise northern europe and particularly denmark there, there's a reason behind that and um we you know it'd be hard to unpack exactly where we got I and mean, everyone's different you mentioned japan in japan they have a culture the elderly live in the family home forever mm-hmm. and that's You know, if you look at a book like The Blue Zone that discusses communities where people are in good mental and physical shape at really old ages, Japan, of course, steps out. Because you're not in isolation, you don't fall and stay on the floor for very long, and you have the psychic well-being of being connected with the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, and the the like. But that's a cultural long-standing difference, and we have not had that in Canada. We are very shallow in our worldview, and uh, the world tends to be Canada, the United States, and the United States, like us, doesn't do anything particularly interesting in the care for seniors, so maybe that's why we haven't. But there are other models a little further afield where we could uh, emulate some of their better practices.
0: Okay. So you also recently stated that Canada will need to support the needs of 4.2 million additional seniors over the next 22 years, and 82% of these will be 75 years of age or older, I think, as you indicated at the top of our show yeah. today. what uh, This dramatically increases the median age, as you've noted, uh, and with it, the complexity and the cost of seniors' care. Uh, In your words, it's pertinent that we think about the long-term implications of Canada's next steps for seniors and associated costs. Now, to help everyone get on the same page, we've talked about some of the situations right now. Um, What are the long-term implications and associated costs we haven't thought of yet or we haven't discussed yet?
1: Well, if we don't turn down the incidence of dementia and, and frailty and we don't create these alternatives, then these people, 75 plus, and particularly 85 plus, are going to be needing long-term care. There will not be, there's not room for them today. And we talk about the terrible conditions, but in Ontario, the wait list, depending on the given month is between 35,000 and 40,000, and there's wait lists otherwise. So we're not even meeting the current demand, Never mind another 300,000 on top of that. So I kind of cast my view out to 2040, and I think we're never going to have the number of beds that would accommodate this, but I'm not sure we're going to build the alternatives either. Um, But we better get started on that, and and we better get started on that fairly soon, or else we're going to have a big problem. And, you know, of the demographics that you cited, the second part, the median age, is by far, I think, the most important. We're we're now. If you think about the baby boomers starting from 46 to uh, 65, we're we're getting into a whole bunch of the baby boomers turning 65. But not that much help happens in your your ability to live independently, fortunately, and your health wise. 65 to 75, it notches up at 75, and then it notches up to a high degree of 85. But then as we move towards 2035, 2040, those baby boomers are going to move into those advanced ages, and we have to change the approach long before we get to that situation, or it's going to be extremely costly for one thing, but extremely, if we, if we think that the care of seniors is in a bad shape right now, wait to the fact that we've got that many more really elderly seniors without a means of looking after them.
0: Now, with somebody with a background in economic analysis and forecasting, what kinds of costs might we be looking at, uh, particularly for folks that are still young now, but looking at paying taxes, as you mentioned earlier, for a long period of time?
1: Young people have a great deal to be worried about because of the current senior generation. particularly now post-COVID and fiscal, we're going to get the fiscal update today. All that debt's going to get passed forward. There was a fair bit of it before. A lot more of it's going to get passed forward without seeming to have an inclination to try to pay that back over the next year. We're sort of putting that in a box, putting a ribbon around it and say, that's yours to deal with. Um, You know, a classic example is the Canada Pension Plan. We, We... believe, and I was at the heart of it, that we sort of saved it in the mid-1990s, but for you, the value of the Canada Pension Plan is worth about 5.5% of your pay, employer, employee, and you'll pay 9.9% at least for the rest of your life because you're cross-subsidizing the elderly people. So that's another example you're paying forward. And then perhaps the most egregious is on the environment. The the next generations are gonna pay for the cost of, of Maybe cleaning up, maybe just adapting to it. Yeah, <laughs> the problems that are created for somebody else, and you know, I, I, I always say to them, you, you know, the current generation, it's not fair. We have to be careful here, and the next generations are going to have their own crises to deal with. We, we've had some kind of economic, financial, medical shock about every ten years deep recessions, the early 80s and 90s, we had stars. we've got this one, we had a financial crisis. It's not like, you know, if you're you're betting on the basis of the past, you're not going to bet that it's going to be all smooth sailing going forward, but the younger generations are going to be saddled with a higher tax burden, probably less government services. And of course, that has been the case uh, from... The 1980s right through until the 2000s, uh, Canadians paid a lot more in taxes than they got back in program spending from governments because they were paying for the debt burden that got accumulated in the 1960s and 1970s and the beginning of the 1980s. So these things carry forward and we have a tendency to not deal with them uh, in the current generation, but pump them forward. But, but there's a limit. And, you know, things are tough. You're talking to a university audience and I think everybody feels it, uh, particularly in the, in the school I'm in. Uh, if I go back, when I graduated from Queen's, all of us got indeterminate jobs immediately. We're all lined up with uh, good jobs with benefits before we graduated and that's just not the case anymore. Oh, it's
0: tr- indeed, it's true. <laughs> uh,
1: price of housing, uh, most of Canada, uh, off the stratosphere from what it was, relative to income, not just an absolute term. So a lot, a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, the old cliche is to tell your grandchildren how tough it was when you were young, but uh, there's not a lot of stories that leap out to that effect.
0: <laughs> okay, so does your white paper make particular recommendations to address some of the issues that, there, that it reports upon?
1: Yeah, so I think the starting and what I would like to influence right off the bat would be these numerous commissions that are underway right now. And, and I'll, I'll mention the one in Ontario. They did a very good interim report, but it focused uniquely by design, not because they're narrow-minded, by design on the immediate problems. But I would really like them to put it in the broader context of what seniors want and the long-term demographics. And maybe that will get governments thinking, Then I would like to influence local governments, local communities, uh, and the provincial governments. But you you always run into this big problem of public policy. The life cycle of political considerations of a policy is three to five years, because that's the election cycle. How do you get somebody thinking about a problem that's really going to slam us mid part of next decade and and beyond that? But if you don't start preparing for it now, you're never going to get it. And of course, it's the same thing in climate change. It's on a trend, and it's been on a bad trend for for a long time. But it doesn't change dramatically one year to another. So it opens the doors ah, we will deal with that next year. We'll deal with it the year after that. And how how do you eat into that? Um, I guess you just get enough people saying it with enough force, and uh, maybe it finally uh, changes things around.
0: Anything else to add? Perhaps some messaging for uh, folks that are approaching 65 and what they need to be thinking about over the next couple of years, and maybe for younger folks that want to start planning for the future.
1: Well, I think it's for all of us um, be very cognizant of the conditions that feed into frailty and dementia. And some of the lifestyle changes have been a way for quite some time, in in terms of nutrition, the lack of physical activity, um, are feeding into that, and that's going to show up. You know, it's very interesting. I'll come come back this one more time, sort of give keep giving a plug for the Blue Zone, but I find it fascinating what what the features of societies where the el- really elderly do very well, and Okinawa is a is an example that used to be in the list and is not. And it coincides with the advent of the fast food industry and the place and the change in the diet. And there, there's a society that went through borderline starvation in two regimes, and they survived that and still ended up in good shape. But when they changed their physical activity and they changed their diet, things started to change around again. So somehow we need to change that. but. Uh, Mm-hmm. you know, we, we've, we've had those uh, participation ads and try to shame us relative to the 60-year-old sweetest person, but it's, it's hard to change.
0: Okay, but there also seems that there could be some more action, maybe even at the ballot box or something, in terms of compelling more investment in community care, as, as uh, you had mentioned earlier, too. While folks can make individual decisions about what they're eating and how much physical activity that they're getting, some folks will still get dementia and become frail just because they get old as well and may not necessarily have family support or money to, um, uh, to be able to um, stay safe in their homes for as long as possible. So long-term care may in fact be a reality for them. What would you, what would you say about
1: that? There is absolutely no doubt that we are always going to leave long-term care I just don't necessarily want to see something like half a million long-term care beds, which is what we're probably heading for under the current model. that That's an awful lot. Right. And that's a half a million people are at a place that they'd rather not be. I would prefer to see how we can curb down the dementia and the frailty and how we can create alternatives for the people that uh, will be a more meaningful life, not just for them, but of course you know, for all their family members as well.
0: Right. So that sounds like a opening up room for investment in community care programs as well to support those families that are supporting folks that may not necessarily need to be in long-term care yeah. or would prefer to
1: stay so out. So there, there is one p- potentially positive note that's happening right now and the change in the governance of health in, in Ontario, where they're creating these, these Ontario health teams. And so there's one being put together in the Kingston Plus area. So it's it's around the geographical circle around Kingston. And it's a coordination across a geographical area. And I know they're sweeping in things like physiotherapy and long-term care and coordination of where people are cared. And perhaps I will pay greater attention to that, as opposed to somebody sitting in an office somewhere in Toronto and really not doing very much work They're too distant from it. We'll see. They're, they're not up and running right now, but the design of them looks like it's potentially promising.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Don. We've been talking with Don Drummond about or a white paper that he has co-written entitled Aging Well and Looking at Revolutionizing Canada's Approach to Seniors Care. Don, thank you very much for joining us in the virtual studio to chat about these issues. Hi, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.